0: Welcome back to Get Off Our Lawn. And it's been a pretty long time. Sorry for the hiatus. This week we get to talk to Janice Hurley, and Janice is pretty freaking amazing. Sometimes when I start talking to someone, I have a pretty decent idea where things are going to go, and um, a lot of times I get really, really pleasantly surprised. And it was a lot of fun talking with Janice because she does a ton of shit. She's a professional speaker, she's a keynote speaker, she does management consulting, she does uh, dental image branding, which I wasn't quite sure what that was, and then Janice goes into what it is, and and how it's much more than just dental offices, it could help just about anybody. Um, Janice talks about, you know, her history as a swimmer, as a kid, um, her life raising four kids on her own um starting the speaking gig at the age of 50 and and i really got kind of buffaloed by that because she's so calm and cool and collected i i thought she'd been doing it for basically her whole life but um she pushed that at 50 and and is now in demand and has a very busy schedule for that which reminds me and reminds all of us that uh There's no time like the present to to make change and to make it happen. It's a lot of fun talking to someone this cool, and I hope you enjoy learning more about Janice. Uh, Janice also runs the CrossFit Masters 60-plus group, and if you need to get in contact with her, you can find her at JaniceHurley.com. So let's do this. Maybe let's get officially a little started here. So, Janice Hurley, who are you?
1: Uh, I'm a very busy, enthusiastic uh, woman who stumbled on CrossFit and adores it.
0: So how how did you stumble on CrossFit? what What is your what is your athletic history? You're obviously a fit over sixty woman keeping moving. You're an image consultant, which I think probably being fit plays a lot into so people can say, oh, I like her image. How you know, what's your past? What's your history?
1: Sure, sure. I'm the oldest of six children, and my three brothers were always very athletic and they were athletic in football and that was highly celebrated within the house. And I was born in 1953, graduated high school in 71, so I'm before Title IX. So there are no athletics in my high school, but I swam AAU outside of high school and then I swam in college. I went to school at Chico State, but I remember vividly going into the weight training room and being asked to leave. So I had learned a little bit about weights from my brothers and my dad, but the women weren't allowed to go, even though you were one of the athletes, right? At the school, you weren't allowed to go into the gym. So I um, I used to run and I that's probably how I kind of messed up my knees along the way because I that's a lot of... It was a lot of weight. It's weight, my weight. I'm running on hard cement most of the time. But that's what I used to be able to eat what I wanted to eat, etc. But I inadvertently was introduced to CrossFit when we had a family reunion. And when we all went together, 10 years ago now, we went together to go for the morning run. So there's maybe 10 of us there. uh, And instead of running that morning, my niece, um, Lisa, said she and her husband had opened up a CrossFit box, you know, uh, as an affiliate and they'd opened it up in their garage. So she brought broomsticks, two kettlebells and a jump rope, I think. And she organized our first CrossFit wad. and we did it several mornings. And I went home and joined a box, Scottsdale, Arizona. And my daughter, Melissa joined one back in Missouri where she was a a softball coach.
0: So there are so many ways we can go with this, but Chico State. I'm I'm a I'm a Redding boy.
1: Oh oh so you no. Know.
0: <laughs> how the <laughs> How the hell did you get the Chico State? Because that's actually more interesting to me, and I'm a very <laughs> selfish person.
1: Well, I was um, not a focused student in high school. Uh, that which means I've got pretty much mediocre grades and was every report card, you know, probably since grade school said, not working up to potential, not working up to potential. And so with kind of mediocre grades, um, my father offers uh, to pay for state college, unlike my brothers who went to Harvard and UC Berkeley and Davis, et cetera. So I was, um, that was what was going to be my option. And then I took the SATs and uh, the scores came back and my dad said, well, you must have learned something because I had actually scored so high that I could go anywhere I wanted, at least state school. And I was living in Redlands, California. So I chose the furthest away, which at that time I thought was a state. I majored in microbiology. Unbeknownst, to it, it was quite the party school. So I am walking the the campus and people are throwing frisbees and having pioneer week and having so much fun. And I'm going off to a three hour lab in microbiology and wondering what they were made. So yeah, that was quite the school. <laughs>
0: it's just I think Humboldt might have been farther, but there's other issues with Humboldt. You would have been stoned yeah. out of your, you would have been stoned <laughs> out of your gourd for yeah. a years.
1: <laughs> Didn't go there.
0: <laughs> so Why did you join a CrossFit box immediately? What was this spark? I mean, broomsticks and a couple kettlebells. What, what, what did your niece do that that just said, wow, this thing, this thing's cool.
1: Right. You know, actually out of that, it wasn't just myself and my daughter. It was also my, the youngest brother, Gary Haugen, went back, joined a box. So she did something really well because my brother has be 55 and over and almost got to the games, would have gotten to the games if we'd kept it the same 20, you know, that we'd had before. But anyway, long story short, I think what each, all three of us liked was the variety because my brother had been in the gym. He played football for Harvard short period of time. My daughter, Melissa, was a division one softball player, always been in the gym. And I, I kept up being in the gym just because I knew it was good for me. And you just get really tired of the machine. So this had great music and, and diversity and I think I that appealed to me and it was a short period of time and most of all it wasn't my energy it wasn't my ideas it wasn't my brain
0: oh my god I honestly I think sometimes that's maybe the second reason I love CrossFit is someone else is telling me what to do and I don't have to think about it
1: so what's your first reason
0: my first reason is that it's one of the few times during the day when I can focus on something exclusively yeah you know, I'm a true techie. I suffer from a a little ADD. There's always 10,000 things going on and the ability to just literally, here is the barbell, do 10 reps. And I think I've said this on the podcast before, but it is so true to me. And and things that allow me to just do that, that only that thing, you know, jump on the bar, do as many pull-ups as you can, jump back up on the bar until you get to 15 or 20 or whatever it's freeing it's mentally freeing to me and you know i mean i love the fitness i'm i'm an absolute fitness nutball but that to me is just such a mental comfort zone
1: i would have to agree with you cuz there are other forms of exercise particularly usually in the gym you know traditional gym you can your mind can wander and if you look around most people are talking but i know i have to focus 100% or i'm going to hurt myself with the
0: yeah and and i did um just with a buddy just just hiked the Grand Canyon a few weeks ago and another buddy I
1: just hiked the Grand Canyon a few weeks ago is that just this (laughs) little
0: sidebar yeah it's a sidebar okay that
1: was
0: Um, good um um, I'll put it out there I'm not that bright so I didn't tend to get into some things that are a little bit above my head but another buddy's girlfriend was like oh god it was so beautiful what'd you see blah 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 and I'm like we started hiking at 4am with headlamps and you see nothing and, and that's what I absolutely love is that you're putting one foot. And I posted about it yesterday with that Jimmy Chin uh, Instagram thing is put one foot in front of the other. And it's just freeing because it's not like, oh, I've got six projects and, oh, I got to pick up my kid. And oh, and it's just it, I just love that aspect of fitness is the ability to focus is so, so comforting and so forth. But um, let me let me pull this back to you, because I looked at your website. And I don't know what you focus on, respectfully, because you're doing about ten thousand things. So, so what? What is your focus in a professional life?
1: Well, you're a marketing expert, so you know how ill-advised that is that I do it. And I, I do multiple things, and it, that it's I do it. Still, continue to do those different aspects because I like variety so much. And as long as I'm still busy working, it, it's working well enough. So. I started off trained by a company called Practice Perfect in practice management or business management for dentists. So dentists and physicians as well um, go to dental school, learn to do procedures. But then 30 years ago, the majority of them didn't have the option to work in corporate dentistry. They were going to be a solo practitioner, which meant they were going to need to understand how to run their own, own business. So I was trained in that and did that for about eight years and did it well enough that some of the large dental conferences asked me to speak on best practices. So best practices meaning, of course, um, things that worked, things they should avoid in the area of uh, running a dental practice. And one of the things I would speak on, because the courses could be an hour, the courses could be three hours or half or full day courses. One of the things I would speak on was the impact of the visual or verbal skills or or body language. And I would show on the PowerPoint photos before and after of the way the doctor was now dressed and groomed and the way that the staff was dressed and the body language needed to make the patient feel comfortable, etc. And the next year, the meeting planner would ask me to go on dental image. And I was initially kind of insulted because I said... Uh, I'm a really good business consultant. And they said, well, no one else is speaking on image in dentistry and we'll pay you the same. So what do you say? Okay. And uh, then as I would show those photos in the programs, continue, someone in the audience would say, oh, that person looked amazing. The same thing for me. And they would say, would you come in my practice and do the same thing for me? And I would say, no, if you're going to spend... Get the results. You need to travel wherever it is that I live. So first, it was Visalia, then Scottsdale, Arizona, and now San Diego for the last seven years. And I do makeovers on individuals. So I literally do what they do on the show: what not to wear, and the before and afters on the on my website are p- photos taken in the morning and then that person at the end of the day. And then I do executive coaching, which means in the course of working with my doctors, male or female, I help them understand how others perceive us because it's it's actually really hard for you to know how other people are perceiving you and when it comes to business success Yale University said the top two qualities of successful business people are one they accurately important word Accurately understand how others perceive them. And number two, they have the ability to move forward to get them. To. So companies like Wells Fargo and PayPal and other corporations have hired me along the way to do executive coaching. So that means they're C-level individuals, people they've already spent a lot of money on, people that they think have a lot of potential. They want them to understand how they're perceived. And I help train them on getting the results that they want. So it's either individuals that hire me for executive coaching or it's definitely a lot of corporations that bring me in and interestingly enough men have the same for the most part there's a common problem that most men have in connecting with other people and then there's a common problem that women often have and so I don't know if you could guess what either of those are.
0: In, in in all honesty, no, because I'm formulating some questions in my my head, and actually, those <laughs> questions those questions might actually answer.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I, that's so.
1: Men have a really men have a really hard time understanding that their likability factor is more important than what they know. So men tend to posture, whether they're a salesman, whether they're a level individual, whether a VP, they tend to. Posture with the other person first um, to establish what they think is credibility, perhaps. When in reality, the most important thing if you want to move people forward to where you want them to go is to understand who that person is, how they feel about themselves, and how they feel when they're around you. So your goal is to help them feel strong and confident and capable around you, because we actually make the best decisions when we feel good about ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean we reduce our negotiating power in any way. It means that the goal is to have that person comfortable. So so men oftentimes interrupt, they talk a lot about themselves, uh, etc. And women, the most common reason I often work with women is on paper, they have everything that it takes. And they seek me out when they find out that they've been passed over or they've not gotten a job. They're on a job interview multiple times and on a resume, it looks like they should get the job. Or corporate has actually numerous times invested in women for me to help them with leadership skills. And so the way I work with people is they have to videotape or audio tape themselves so that they can see exactly what it is that they're doing, that's counter to what they said their goals
0: were. It's fascinating to me because you, you weren't blanketing. You weren't saying all men are all women. You were saying, here's, here's the way it kind of works out. But we're taught mostly as men to come in and take charge of a situation or at least look like as much of an alpha dog as possible.
1: And sometimes that serves you and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm the person that helps sometimes people see that.
0: Yeah, that's the point, right? But as you were talking, even before that, I was thinking about image and I – I mean I've been through your website and looked at a lot of your videos and image to me is kind of a plus and a minus word you know sure. cuz some folks think it 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 can be the negative of like you're just you're you're just the the skin deep and other people think it's you know who you are and then I started thinking and taking it back to our beloved crossfit of if I see a coach and they're wearing jeans I just immediately get turned off and and they might be a great coach, but if they're not wearing athletic attire, it's like it's it's kind of what you talked about about how somebody looks and looking appropriate. And I'm like, I, I I'm as just as susceptible to that as anyone because I was actually going to talk to you and say, it kind of annoys me to think that, that dentists think they have to dress up in anything other than scrubs. But then I got I've got my biases too. So why why is it that a dentist needs to wear something other than the scrubs? Is is it the same as a CrossFit coach shouldn't wear jeans?
1: Huh, interesting, interesting. So, but you you did really well at understanding that you have a lens, we have a bias, right? Um, and actually, what you're responding is the thought that that coach that showed up may not be honoring his role or her role for that moment in time. So, I ask people to always consider who's your audience and how do you want them. And so, I would say, even when a CrossFit coach shows up, in athletic attire, it still behooves them when they look like they got enough sleep and the shirt looks like it's worn at one time. So, but it's just one tiny, tiny aspect of it. But visual is so strong that a third of your brain is working just on the visual and processing that every time I see someone. So uh, let's go back to dentists and scrubs. So uh, scrubs aren't all bad. And, and in fact, when I work with oral surgeons and some others that do a lot more uh, work within the surgery section, uh, scrubs will of course be what they wear, but well-fitting scrubs are good and making sure that they wear a t-shirt underneath that neck because you don't want to see their chest. Um, but there's also other attire that they can wear that can make the patient more comfortable. And so scrubs are your kind of least go-to in terms of making the patient feel comfortable because immediately when you see a scrub, you often think uh hand peep something drilling or cutting in your mouth.
0: I, I think the person's there to do work. But that you know, but that's the thing is you are dealing with someone who sees a wide swath of people and I'm I'm one percent of that, you know. Uh, if you do a bell curve and 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 so to me yeah that's but that's my opinion but also too if they were dirty and stained I'd be like "Eh, I'm not quite sure about that so it's interesting it's just interesting to me that image with respect to clothing at is is such a foreign concept if that makes sense but I'm also colorblind so I don't put outfits together very well (laughs) (laughs) so let, let me pull it back to a different level though you started the CrossFit Master 60-plus group, correct?
1: No, I didn't. So I think this is going to be uh, good information for you as well. I, I didn't. Uh, it was started by Jerry Welch, and I don't even know how long ago it was started, but somebody invited me to join because I didn't seek it out. I'm, I'm not actually a joiner. I think, but think, um, So someone invited me. I started to participate in a way that was supportive and upbeat, pretty much what I general mindset anyway. And I enjoyed the fact that there were athletes over 60 that even existed, right? So the um, homogenous aspect of the group uh, appealed to me. And before you know it, uh, Jerry reached out to me and said, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. I'm going to make you the administrator. Would you mind approving or disproving people that are applicants and applying. And I said, oh, sure, okay, no problem. So my way of doing it was different. My way was not to just approve or disprove. My way was to look through the Facebook postings, look at their information, ask them a couple questions. So I made up the fact that I wanted to know where you first heard about CrossFit, how old you were, and were you working out at an affiliate now or in your garage? And in the course of doing that, it made the site more personable and more warm and more friendly. And Jerry came back and said, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. You're putting in way more time than I would do on it. And so I said, are you sure? So somewhere in there mentioned me and I said, oh, I'm just, I'm not really the administrator. I'm the person by default in saying my praises.
0: So how does that group differ from good old CrossFit Masters, which spans the entire spectrum?
1: You know, it says we're supposed to be 60 and over, but we have people there that have applied that are 57, 56. And if they look like they're really active in CrossFit, then you know, that's fine. So people 60 and older. Do
0: you think that there is a difference between the two groups do you guys talk about different things um i'm i'm 52 so i'm a bit away and and well i guess i guess this is maybe you know the time for the commercial for folks who are over 60 what do you get out of the 60 plus group that that uh (laughs) can't get from the crossfit masters group
1: so your crossfit masters group has a much wider span in age so would you say the youngest is what age what would would be the youngest age 35 right yeah So um, somebody 35 all the way up to 59, 60, that's quite a span. And yes, it's definitely a variance in skill level and physical attributes and challenges. But most of us noticed somewhat of a change after 50, 55 in terms of, oh my gosh, I need to actually recognize and acknowledge that. Mobility is extremely important and preventing injuries is extremely important. So in any group, the more homogenous you can make it, the more comfortable people are because there's less variance. So in other words, when a corporation will ask me, we've got 80 employees. How do you want to divide up the group? I want to divide it up. As small pieces as possible, so that everybody that's within that group can relate and doesn't get bored with subjects that are not related. So, our group, I would say, talks about participating in the open, participating in competitions. There's that level, right? There's some of those up there. We, we have um, some heavy hitters in there. And then we have those that have just heard about it. And if you actually looked at their photos on Facebook, it wouldn't look like they've particularly maybe done CrossFit. And then there's others that are extremely inspiring. They're 70 years old. Do you know that probably the most inspiring quote that I ever heard from myself the last year came from a woman who's 70 on our CrossFit 65 plus page who hasn't been doing it too, too long. But she posted the fact that she didn't feel like going that afternoon to the workout, but that she doesn't treat herself that poorly by making a promise and not keep. And I have since then told that story to actually thousands of people when I speak, um, because there could be a large group or small group in my audience. But I, I talk about who inspires you and the fact that your self confidence and self esteem is often predicated on making sure that you are realistic in your promises. And it's more important to keep the promise than anything. I
0: think people tend to forget a lot that promises to yourself are just as important as promises to somebody else. I agree, and 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 it's interesting because um, I'm fastidious about food most of the time. But then when I talk to folks, and they're like, "Well, how can you, you know, eat chicken rice and sautéed spinach two meals a day, six days a week?" and I'm like, "I feel good when I do it, and right. and I'm I'm more balanced mentally and emotionally, and when I get to work out and things like that, I'm like, it's not a problem. I I still enjoy good food and all that, but that thing to me, the promise to me is to, to stay as level as possible and still be able to, you know, work out and enjoy. And I'm going to go out for some beers tonight, but that's the promise to myself. And I forget that that's just as important as promises to my kids and everything else. We just tend to think that external is often much more important than internal.
1: And women are guilty of this even more than me.
0: I got to ask, are you working up to your potential now?
1: Which, which, potential? well, you said
0: earlier that your report cards would come back and you weren't working oh, up yeah, the potential. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am very, uh, blessed and, uh, fortunate that I'm, I'm pretty much at the peak in my career. I, I really am. And uh, I'm one happy, happy, happy person. So yeah, I, I've thoughtfully constructed. A healthy life.
0: What the hell does that mean? Help us out here. What, what, well, maybe start from what brings you joy. What, what makes you smile?
1: Uh, for sure, for sure. Letting myself take a little bit of credit for my four grown children that I raised as a single parent and their parenting skills. So, my children are 42, 40, 39, 38, and I have 12 grandchildren. And my biggest source of pride is actually to be around them and watch them parent. So my, my oldest grandchild is 17. I have two that are few months old. So I consciously moved from downtown, well, I moved from Scottsdale to San Diego to train at Invictus with my daughter, Melissa Hurley, who's a games athlete and an amazing coach. So I purposely went there for my health, purposely. So I could be two blocks away from Invictus. And then when she moved up here to Carlsbad last year, I moved from downtown San Diego up here to Carlsbad and now three of my kids and eight of my grandchildren. So um I'm really clear about what brings me joy. And it is absolutely not physical things or financial things, though I, I certainly share. I mean, I, I travel all over the world with my my work, whether it's Australia or Canada or an upstate and I've stayed in, you know, I've had a I have a great life that goes on right now. But I think it's first identifying what it is that really makes you happy and then coming to grips with the fact that you can't have it all. So I don't beat myself up at all for the fact that when I travel, I don't do CrossFit. So I do CrossFit when I'm home. So the agreement with my daughter is, Melissa Hurley, who's here in um, Carlsbad, if I'm in town, I mean, physically, literally in town, got off a plane, doesn't matter, then I show up. And that I do the best that I can when I show up. Um, so one of the things I really find beneficial about CrossFit is it is really humbling for me. So I am not nervous at speaking in front of 3,000 people or coaching um, vice presidents of large corporations on executive coaching. But almost every time I walk into a CrossFit gym, there's some trepidation for me because um, I'm going to have to pay attention and I'm going to do really well in some areas and I'm not going to do well at all in others. But I recognize the benefit of it. And I recognize how much I love of having gone to the games. So on my list next year is to go back to the games, Madison, because I missed the last two years and went the last seven when we were in Carson. So everybody just has to identify what works for them. And don't give any excuses. I mean, don't give excuses. Don't don't say, people say to me sometimes, um, you're so lucky you're close to your kids. And I just want to resist saying, really? okay really okay
0: <laughs> so so how easy was it to you know sell everything in Scottsdale and yes. San Diego so you yes. could be with your kids
1: yes. Or people see me speak and they come up afterwards and say, "Oh, it must be fantastic to have such great genes. That's why you're so fit." I'm like, "Huh? Okay."
0: It's not even about looking great. It's a pet peeve of mine oh. that you just hit on, which is because I am okay. I am tall and thin by nature, but I, I hate it when people will be like, "Oh, well, you're naturally that way." Yeah, I am naturally that way because I've worked out, you know, five to six days a week for thirty fucking years. Right. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> You've done well with genetically what you were giving, right? I'm a mesomorph, you're an ectomorph or endomorph, right? And then, but you did the best you could with what it was you had.
0: But it's interesting too, because we talked about goals and, and, you know, being happy. Like when I travel and and I travel extensively for work, I always make it a point to drop in at boxes. And and I hear what you just said, because that's your truth and your path to happiness. But it's also for me, that's the way I can kind of just clear my mind a little bit. And I love, love dropping in and seeing other locations, seeing how they coach. Some are, most are, are fantastic. Some are, I've, I had a couple that were poor, but most are really, really good. I love that. And that's, that brings me joy and it brings me more joy than staying out late and, and, and drinking a bit too much. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting up at five to go walk, I'm, you know, a couple miles to the local box and people look at me like I'm nuts, but I'm like, that, that's fun. I enjoy that part.
1: And I 100% agree with you on the enjoyment of it, and I apply it whenever I vacation. So I think there's two groups of people that work out when they vacation or think, oh, my God, no, I'm on vacation. I'm not going to work out. So I just, I'm often working on the East Coast where there's a three-hour time difference.
0: Right.
1: I'm really getting up at 2 a.m. I'm getting paid to speak for X amount of time. That conference pretty much owns you and or my clients. and so. There's a lot of other people that do what I do that work out, but very few actually get off site to go to a box. And um, I do have one client, um, Dr. Jeff Berger in Sonora, California, that I introduced him to CrossFit six, seven years ago. He's an amazing athlete. And so when I work with him, we go in the morning.
0: So so give me something there. You You're getting up to speak at a conference and you've got hundreds, thousands in the room what is your mental process? I mean, do you have one? Do you need to ramp it up a little bit? Do you need some Janice time before you go on stage? And let me me actually overdo the question here a little bit, but it's like uh, a buddy of mine once told me um, he switched from being a keyboardist to a lead singer and he's like, oh my God, it's a totally different world because he became the actual show if he didn't put it out there no one no one would enjoy it in the audience some people really need to prep to get up there and speak in that way is it flow for you is it is it ramping yourself up what do you, what do you do
1: so when a meeting planner calls to book the engagement the first thing you ask is the date because the date i, I know where i'm at um, for the next 2 years almost so the first question to be answered is, are you available? So if the answer is yes, then I ask how long it is. So a keynote, which is 50 to 55 minutes, is often where you have the the really large audiences. And that's where you're responsible for a great deal of energy and your role is motivation. That's different than if they tell me we would like you to do a three-hour workshop um, and there'll be And sometimes they let me limit how many people can be in attendance because I may want a smaller amount. It doesn't matter. But either way, the second thing answered is how long is it? Because it's an entirely different program. Just like your friend said, he's playing a different instrument or he's with a group or he's solo. Uh, A keynote is entirely different. And in reality, any good speaker will tell you that the shorter the program, the tighter that it has to be and the more work that's gone into it. So there's two different things as a speaker that you develop. You become, hopefully, an authority on whatever it is that you're speaking on. But second, there's a whole other craft is to learn how to deliver so that you're worth that honorarium. The goal is to get paid more and more for your honorarium all the time. So an advantage is if I've ever spoken to that group before, because if I'm speaking to a CareStream group or I'm speaking to Wells Fargo's financial planners, I know what that general genre is. I, um, I I know what their culture is. But optimal, I am. I do two things. I make sure to meet with the AV people the night before. I stand on the stage. I look at the room. I check out all the lighting. I make sure that things are exactly um, optimal uh, as to what I want. Then the next day, I want to be in that room right beforehand. I want to feel how that group um, laughs. What the speaker up there is doing that works based on the stage or the room. And beforehand, I've always written my program with the audience in mind. It is always about them. An amateur speaker speaks on what it is that they're passionate about and what they want you to know. That's very different than a pro. A pro keeps their audience in mind when they write the program and they figure out how to deliver it to you so that you feel included, they feel included. And you give the meeting planner whatever was their goal. So I ask a meeting planner after we get past the date, and this is long before we negotiate honorarium, I ask them, what is your goal? What do you want them to have gotten out of this? If they want them to learn, that's different than just wanting them to be inspired. And then I probably will listen to some music that makes me feel really good, upbeat and positive. It could be something that's similar to what I work out with. Um, love when they have AV people there that ask you, what do you want played before you get on stage? Because that's in the mindset. And particularly, if there's lots and lots of lights. You've just done this enough that it's okay that you can't see anybody in your audience. So, yeah.
0: So I would love to ask this question and you could tell me you don't want to answer it. Have you ever bombed a presentation and And if you want to give them back, I've bombed more than a few, but have you ever bombed one and then but but looked back and said, "Okay, lessons learned, or you didn't know why?
1: Oh, absolutely, so when I first started out speaking, I spoke to a group in Wells Fargo at Napa, California, and I had this huge variance in the audience. You had people there that made two million a year, and you had people there that made administrative people that made $15 an hour. And I spoke for an hour and a half and I was early on in my career and I made it too much about me, not about them. When I finished, I knew that that was the case. And my, my thought was, I will never do this again. It's probably about years ago. I said, I will never speak again. Now the problem was I already had three speaking engagements already booked. And in this, my world, you cannot change on somebody so the best way to learn is that you watch your video after you've spoken so either you have somebody in the audience video you which is so easy right with our cameras etc or you've um you've signed off that they can be sometimes they use for training And the only way you get better is twofold. You have got to go get a speaking coach. I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on speaking coaches, and they need to look at what I'm actually doing and give me feedback. And then I have to be willing, be open, and implement change. And I would tell you it's only in the last years that I'm really, really worth every dime they pay me.
0: You just said something, because I think there's a lot of people that struggle a lot with their career path. You said early on in your career about 15 years ago. That would mean that you kind of took over this career somewhere in the late 40s, 50s, correct?
1: Oh, this different career. Yes, yes, yes. You're right, because I'm 66. And so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: You started this at 50 that was a shitty question sorry about that but i was trying to frame it up in my own head as we went along
1: no no that's i, I get it now yeah you're right you're right yes
0: uh, a lot of people are like oh i'm too old i mean hell we can take it back to crossfit i'm i'm 45 i i shouldn't you know start a new thing i might get hurt what what made you start oh, so i'm fascinated what made you think at 50 i'm going to go into this space i mean that's you know you already had a grandkid by then you were in a different world, but you made this leap. That's freaking cool. Why?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh, good point. Um, so necessity, I think, is um pretty the strong, you know, pretty much the strongest point. So I still needed to work. I'm I've been a single parent forever and um am not near as good of a saver as some people are. Plus, I have four kids and twelve grandchildren and you know, all those things that goes with it. So working um was still a necessity. It's a choice, everything is a choice, but it, it was a it was a choice that I wanted to still live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And so I knew, all right, you're, I'm either going to be good at this and make it predictable. Um, and because it fed my speaking, not only is the honorarium that you make, but it fed new clients for me. So I go in quarterly and clients that are dental practice, and I go in and work with the team on verbal skills, body language, new patient um scheduling treatment presentation anything that has to do with the business right so the best circle is that you inclusive in that you have a book speak at this conference and then you let your audience know that you'd be open so to not speak would eliminate an important and what would i do if i wasn't afraid what would i do if i wasn't afraid
0: you know, this this midlife career change stuff is pretty fascinating. And and a lot of people, I think, in the group are at that phase as well. They're retiring, they're looking at something different, or, you know, they've been laid off or whatever. And so it's it's fascinating to hear that you've earned your way into a a new world and you wrote a book. That to me is really, really cool stuff. But Also, cool stuff, and I'll segue away from it. Is
1: can I say one thing first? Away from it.
0: Yeah, sure. Go ahead.
1: Let me go back to the necessities. Right. I mean, I only started working in the first place because I was unexpectedly a single mom when my children were six, four, three, and two. I was raised to be an educated wife. I don't have any sister-in-laws, and no one, none of the women work outside the home. They all got gorgeous degrees, but um, nobody works outside the home. So necessity. If you've decided you want to work or make some changes. Do not do it halfway. Absolutely. You either be all in or forget about it because you are up against others um, that are all in. And they're being all in and making every day a full-time job to acquire whatever it was that they do, whether you're looking for a job or expanding your connections or reaching out to others, um, you're up against that person. And if you remotely, remotely think that you're disadvantaged because of your age, you're going to project that. And so um, just be all in. I don't think it's any different than when we face a bar and there's a certain weight on there. Are you going to lift it if you've got self-doubt? No.
0: If you think you can or you can't, you've just answered yourself.
1: You're 100% right either way. So step back and and if you're not getting the results you want, please don't use any excuses you have. Look instead to see What actions would it take for me to get what I want? And how am I doing that every single day?
0: Well, that's something that fascinates me about talking to people in this forum, in this podcast forum, and talking to the fellow admins is I get to hear a little bit about who they are, not just, okay, CrossFit and how much I lift and all that stuff, but who who they are. And one of the things that resonates with me about you is – you've had to make your own decisions for a long fucking time now. And that sounds kind of scary to me in a certain way. I mean, I've been married for 24 years. Um, I have somebody to bounce things off of. We, we, you know, we're independent people and all that stuff. But how do, do you even think about that anymore? Like, man, I'd really like to have somebody that I could balance this off of? Or are you just you and you're getting shit done? Oh, no, I,
1: I'm absolutely getting stuff done. And I'm more aware that the amount that I get done is doesn't always make every man particularly comfortable with me, but I, am, I have, I have no, no desire to what I accomplish because being as successful as I am at doing what I do allows me a lifestyle to mark off all of December not to work or to be with my kids or mark off January because I'm going to Spain with a girlfriend. And fortunately... I've done it long enough. So 33 years now, it's just now on a positive note, because the type of work that I do is very solitary, I belong to a couple of groups, even though I'm not a joiner, I belong to the Academy of Dental Management Consultants. That means there's other consultants that we, you know, once a year, and then you make friends with those people. And so those are my friends. So my female friends and some male friends are equally as competent, ambitious as I am. It just... It just fits for me. I'm okay that I'm probably not a, always a good fit for everyone else, but there's enough other accomplished people that are not, with, they, they welcome being around other smart people.
0: I'm just laughing to myself because I never know where these interviews are going to go. <laughs> and, you know, I, I could send all the questions out beforehand, yeah. but it's like, but it's, then somebody like goes, oh, by the way, when I was 12 and I was doing this, and I'm like, well, let's talk about that shit. That is cool.
1: Yeah. Let's ask the question everybody else wants to know. Are you sure you always never want to
0: date? Right. You know. And I wasn't even going on the dating thing. It was more just, man, you're just doing it on your own. But so one of the things yeah. about you, you were at the Legends comp, or at least you took a shitload of pictures at the Legends comp.
1: I did. I took a shitload of pictures.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is photography a hobby? What's What's the deal with that?
1: So it came about because of CrossFit. Can I say CrossFit again? One more time? Yeah.
0: Not Not on this podcast.
1: So, Okay. Okay. Uh, sidebar. Do you know that I happen to mention it every time I speak or coach on stage and i just, it cracks me up because almost nobody in the audience raises their hands that they know anything about CrossFit, but I find a way to stick it in there.
0: That's because of embarrassment, Janice. Nobody wants to admit they're part of a cult.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. I, I take off the cultish shirt and so forth.
0: <laughs> All right. Photography.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my daughter, Melissa, went back uh, and joined a box, and she was put in as an alternate on the teams. So at the games, during the time when they would have six people, three women, three men, you made sure to have a variant. You had somebody that was really strong, somebody that was a gymnast, and somebody that was an engine, right? She came in as an alternate, even though she'd gone to this box only four months, five months. Sure enough, she they needed her. She went to the games. I took a regular... Uh, No, I just attended and noticed that, well, nobody's taking pictures of their team. They weren't, they were Valley CrossFit. They weren't, you know, the top, top team. And for the first couple years, she competed then for the next um, five years, almost went once as an individual. But anyway... In being around her, I noticed until she was the winning team. She was on on the winning team in 2014. They they won the games, and then then HQ was taking photos of her and so forth. I started taking photos so she wouldn't have them. And if you want to take photos in CrossFit, it's all about getting a really good camera. Then it's all about getting a really good 2000 uh, lens at 200 lens, which cost about 2000 But so that's how that grew. And I love to take CrossFit photos more than probably anything.
0: Even your grandkids?
1: Yes, because, uh, yes, because, yeah, well, I'll just go with you. Yeah. So
0: what, I mean, it, it, you took them at the Legends. Are, are you trying to get into that and maybe as a side gig or it's just an enjoyment thing for you? or
1: It's an enjoyment. I, I think I shared with you that I've been paid a couple times by product um, you know, to, to video, not videotape, to take photos of Heather still for Revive or Marcus Philly, et cetera. But I, I can't ever make as much money doing photography as I do what I do. So, but I want to be good at whatever I do. And so I only take photos for people, of situations I want to be in and of people I like. So you almost can't pay me to do this. You can't pay me enough. And, and I've turned it down on a regular basis because I just want to do what I want to do. Um, that sounds kind of, I don't know what it sounds like, but it's the truth. So I so enjoyed that there were people there at legends. And then I had been interacting with them on the 60 plus page. And then I happened to know some of those athletes because they came from all over and they were in boxes where I had been before. They were games athletes that I got to know through my daughter. So I enjoy taking their pictures so that maybe the person that doesn't have a lot of photos might have them. Now, it turns out they had some great photographers there. And so that's fantastic. But so you all got or they all got good photos. But I noticed in the course of taking photos of some of the 60 plus that I may have taken a couple for that were 50 or 55. So I put some of them or some of the 60 members were on your page. So I put them on your page just to generate some energy, hoping I wasn't imposing myself.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So let me spin it back a little bit. So... Your book, we talked about image and whether or not that's a, uh, um, I almost want to spin it. Yeah. Word. Yeah. You know, I almost want to spin it as ego <laughs> yeah. or not. And, and your book is about dental image consulting. But how much of your book is applicable beyond dentistry? Like if somebody wanted to pick that up, who's, you know, a marketing person or runs their own um, you know pool cleaning service or whatever the case may be would that be beneficial to them or is that book much more focused towards the dental world
1: i think it would would at first glance appear it was about dentistry when in fact you're absolutely right there's probably 10 minimum principles in there that would apply to anybody so let me let me just pick three one of them is um, talking about the fact that there's always a nice way to say everything. So that means I can fire you, but I can say it in nice words. Or I could give you a personnel review and thinking that I was making you feel good about yourself, but the words that I used or the tone of voice that I used wouldn't communicate that. So that's one of those things. The second piece that would apply to any business is to just please every single moment, look at, Each aspect from the potential client's point of view. So that means until they're paying you and they've signed a contract, they're just potential. And what we tend to do is see things from our point of view. And then the third thing is to recognize that human nature has changed in the sense that you need to respond very quickly. And that you, there are no secrets anymore about who you are because there's no separation between business and personal. So what you post on Facebook personal has been investigated by anybody that's looking to hire you. Your reputation is based on the things that you but it does start with someone's perception of you and the consistency of your brand.
0: If somebody wants to get hold of you, how would they do
1: that? So just put my name in, Google my name, Janice Hurley, and an app will come up and it will show you all the different services that I have. And it shows you about any workshops or where I'm seeing and et cetera. And um, you would just email me and email is the very best way to get hold of me.
0: And that would be? J
1: Hurley at janicehurley.com.
0: Okay, so you've got the URL as well, but also janisurley.com is your website, correct?
1: Yes, yes, yes. You just put my name in, and well, it was a real surprise that you wanted to interview me. So thank
0: you. Oh, you're welcome. It's it's about a couple of things. One is you're clearly, you know, uh, somebody who's made some headway in your field, which is very interesting to me. Like, why have you chosen to do what you do? You you know are running the the sixty plus page. And, and it's just interesting for folks to know who other people are in the group, you know, who, yeah, who is yeah, this other yeah. person. And so we're going to be ticking off a few more folks as well. And it's just kind of fun. Like, who is this person? Oh, she's, you know, was a single mom when she had a two year old and a yep. four year old and a six year old. <laughs> um, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would love to opine on?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I want to make the comment that how much influence are athletic children have on us, because maybe not in your group, your younger group, but the majority of individuals that have joined our 60 plus group will tell you that they were introduced to CrossFit through uh, one of their children. So I think I told you that Invictus CrossFit made a video about me and the fact that I was 63 at the time and I did CrossFit and that I came to San Diego to be coached by my daughter And the whole idea was that they wanted more 60 plus or 50 plus, I think that would take anybody um, to broaden their spectrum because their brand was very much about training individuals. And 47,000 people have now looked at that video of me doing CrossFit and my daughter and not a one joined Invictus. So I think people come to your box because they are personally invited. So there's nothing personal about that video that would say to someone, I think you'd be a good fit. So I think, I think marketing, good marketing means you give a personal invitation oftentimes to someone that you wouldn't otherwise speak up to. We're
0: at our hour, but now I want to spend about another hour talking about imaging on CrossFit and, (laughs) and what gets people in and, you know, even as someone who was an athlete, it took me a while to get into a CrossFit box because I was like, I, you know, barbell, I didn't, you know, none of that stuff was interesting to me. And it shows, and and now obviously I'm an addict and, you know, (laughs) you had, you had somebody that sparked you. And so it it could be, you know, maybe we, we, maybe do a follow-up and talk about how uh, Glassman, because he listens to Mm -hmm. us, obviously can rebrand.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: I mean, he's done pretty well. So I think, I think he's, think he's good with the uh the participation rates and i think the open's probably going to come back and there's a lot of stuff there but um janice thank you this was a lot of fun i didn't really know where we were gonna go i just knew we'd have a fun conversation and i hope you enjoyed it too
1: absolutely absolutely thank you so much